Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Ephesians 4 today. Um, Today is our heavy lifting day, right? Okay. We're we're going Ephesians 4, 17 through 520. Everybody say, whoa. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't plan for this to be on the daylight savings morning. Um, I would have maybe adjusted that. Uh, But here we are, nonetheless. Uh, And uh, you know what? We're we're ready for it. I sense that we're ready for it, and we're going to be just fine. You know what? Yeah. Are, are you as convinced as me? I, I, saw, I saw some nods, but less like, okay, yes. Okay, here we go. All right, we're good. We're good. I, uh, I, I ran a, a 10K yesterday uh, up in the, that is the exact response I was hoping for. Gosh, I'm a fragile person and I need affirmation. And so I, I was mainly telling you so that you would say something like, wow, and you all did wonderfully without prompting or anything. Yeah, up in the, uh, up in the hills above Alsea Falls, uh, I went. Uh, and it was a grand time. It was also a great reminder of why Paul uses the metaphor that we looked at last week of walking uh, and not running. <clears throat> there were some people who were, who were also doing the race. It was various lengths. There were some people who were walking, and, and when I would run past them, I would think, these people have it right. <laughs> These people have, have gotten it right. Uh, because the, the funny thing is, we'd, we'd all end up going the same distance. We all end up back at the finish line. And do you know who cares about how fast you go? Nobody at all. <laughs> like, I care a little bit. Like, I, was, I, I felt like pretty good about myself, my effort, my, my time. Like, I'm not a fast person by any means, but I was like proud of the way I did it. But you, no, no one cares. Nobody cares. Uh, but the, the, the walk, the step-by-step, the, the dailiness of our faith, um, it's what we looked at last week. And we, we get a little bit different metaphor, but it's a very regular, normal metaphor, again, uh, that Paul uses this time. And this time, it's, it's the taking off and the putting on of clothes. Doesn't it feel good to put on a new shirt? Yeah, when you... When, you go go to the store and like you've been saving up for a little bit and like ah oh, that's that's the one I'm getting and then the next opportunity to wear that thing like isn't that always kind of like an exciting moment? But there's there's some freshness to that that I think Paul is saying that that, that should mark in a much more significant way obviously our our lives with Jesus. Um, the Christian call is to always be doing this putting off and putting on. This is, it's not a one-time thing that we just get right and then, then we're good. Uh, it is a continual call. What, what I want to do this morning is we're going to read through the passage. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that we could divide up this, this hefty chunk 
um, of text. Um, what I want to do is sort of spend some time talking about 4.17 through 5.7. So I'm going to read through, kind of make some comments, and then make a, sort of uh, a few general, general, general like applications from that part, and then we'll come back and we'll finish uh, 8, through, 8 through 20, okay? So we'll, we'll do one bit by bit, but starting in 4.17. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it. And I, I want us to just stop right there and, and have our ears attuned this morning to Paul's urgency of language, Paul's urgency of heart. And we've seen this all throughout the, the text to this point, all throughout Ephesians uh, so far. I mean, the chapter 4 started this way. As a prisoner, I urge you. That's what, that's what Paul says in 4.1. Now in 4.17, he, incurred, he continues that, that same line, that same urgency. I, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Paul, again, painting a very bleak picture of what life away from Christ looks like. And it's something that we've all tasted. It's something that we all know, that desensitizing of our hearts. It's not so much, not always an, a, a strict antagonism towards what God is doing in the world. Sometimes it's just a meh. It's just a, ah, I don't really care. That is dangerous. That is part of what Paul is saying. Like, be super careful not to, not to fall back into that pattern. It, what's interesting here is he's talking to Gentiles, and he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. It's, it's important here because, because Paul has already made the cultural point that Jews and Gentiles are together under the umbrella of Christ. Christ has done reconciling work for individuals in, in each group, and he's done the reconciling work of each group to one another. And so Paul is not saying you don't have to be a Gentile anymore, but he's saying you've got to leave the old stuff behind. You've got to leave the old patterns behind of heart and mind behind. The Christian call is not a removal from the world, not a removal from the situation in which we're in. It's faithfulness within it, faithfulness within that world. You're still going to be Gentiles, living in a Gentile world. But don't be like it. Don't live like it. Live different. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, in Christ again. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, to put off your old self. And notice the language here, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off, put it behind you, let it be in the past, because if you don't, then there is going to be a present tense like reality to the, the desire creep. Right? The desires want to be <laughs> deceived. 
put off that old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on, there it is, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Christian life is a continual putting off and putting on. There, there are these, these clear demarcations, death and then life, old and then new. Yes, there, there are black and white realities. And yet there is also this ongoing sense of I need to put off that which was in my dead vase and put on that which needs to mark my life now. Put off the old and put on the new, created to be like God. We'll, we'll talk about following the example of God here in a moment, but righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off. How so? What should we put off? For example, put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In anger, do not sin. Notice, not, don't be angry. There are some charges in this passage that say, don't be angry. So we should feel that too. But here he says, be angry and don't, and don't let it get the best of you. All right. There are some moments that should cause broken anger in us. Can you, can you hold that? A mark of maturity in Christ is to be able to hold that anger and not let it boil over into a really bad choice. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. One of the best pieces of practical advice ever given to anybody, by anybody. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't sleep on it. Because if you sleep on it, you will wake up thinking about it. Don't let the day pass before you've confronted it. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal. Cool. That sounds good. I like that. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. But notice what the contrast is here. Instead, they must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I teach a class on calling and vocation at Bushnell, and we, talk, we, we start out by talking about a theology of work, and I always bring them back to this passage because it's so easy as, as college students are thinking about calling and, and what they're supposed to do with their lives and this, what is the meaning behind work and all of these things to go so many different directions. But here's a very helpful, like, orienting piece. What is the point of work? The point of work is this, doing something useful with your hands that they may have something to share with those in need. We work so that we can give away. And doesn't this make perfect sense with everything else that Paul has been saying to this point? A, a, a deferential posture towards others, an others-centered mindset approach to life. Work, not so that you can accumulate for yourself, not for some sake of American comfort, but for the sake of giving away. Work hard, work your tails off, yes, for the sake of others. 
verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. When you work, it's for the benefit of others. When you talk, it ought to be for the benefit of others. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice it doesn't say if you grieve the Holy Spirit, you are separated from God. It just says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The animating force of our lives in Christ is the Holy Spirit seeking to work in us for for good to help us be righteous in those moments that we don't want to be, to help us towards holiness when we don't really want to be all that holy. <laughs> Paul says, don't put, don't put up roadblocks. Don't, don't grieve the work of the Spirit in your life. Open the floodgates. <laughs> Let the Spirit in. Get, and how do we do that? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That's put off stuff. Here's put on stuff. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. From that into chapter 5, verse 1, notice how it's the example of Christ that provides the model for how we ought to live. I love these first two verses of Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. We just sang it. I'm, I'm a beloved one, and I'm going to go now live like it. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We come here as believers in Jesus, as ones who hold up the work of Christ as that which makes us right before God. We, we, we are moving towards a season of, of Easter, uh, towards Easter, where we get to celebrate the death and then the resurrection of Christ. That is the... that. That's the foundation of everything that we believe. It, or later on today, after the, after the message, we're going to come and take communion together where we, where we take the body and the blood of Christ to, to be reminded that this, this is the thing that makes me right before God. God's forgiveness, God's love towards me is the thing that marks me the most. That is what Jesus' work does. However, that is not the only thing that Jesus' work does. It also provides a template, a model, an example that we are supposed to follow. And what we've missed so much in the church today is we have, we've gotten comfy with a Jesus who has done stuff for us and not so much with the Jesus who asked something of us. We like the work of Christ to, to be that thing which makes us right before God. That, that, that's fun. That's good to talk about. That's good. And it is. It's wonderful. Paul erupts in praise talking about it so, so many times in this, in this book. But it is also the model. Jesus is the example. Somehow we've lost our way. Somehow we've missed the mark in, in thinking about the life of Jesus and thinking about the teachings of Jesus. We like what he has to say sometimes, if we're honest. Sometimes we don't. like It kind of gets all up in our business. 
We like the idea of Jesus, but we don't always do a good, a good job of incorporating the life of Jesus into our own. And when, and when Paul says, follow the example of Christ, he has what in mind? Walk in the way of love. It's not just the idea that matters. It's the posture. This is what we talked about last week. Speak the truth in love. We care so much about truth, but as Christians, we care just as much about the way that love embodies that truth. It is not one or the other. It is both. Walk in love just as Christ loved us and, oh, by the way, just as Christ died. Do you want to know what love looks like? Look at the cross. Look at the sacrificial life that Jesus led. And Paul is saying that is the thing that is the model ultimately that we're following. He continues, so many, so many little commands and so many big commands in this passage. Remember, in general, the first three chapters are, are Paul like painting a picture of the gospel, and the last four chapters, the last three chapters of, of Ephesians are this kind of like command to go like live as if that is true because it is true of you. Now go live as if that is actually the case. Verse three: Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And at this point, we ought to be feeling like Paul is repeating himself because he is. He's hitting some of the main ones over and over again because boy, we do a good job of forgetting after just a few verses, right? must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people and we need a reminder of that every once in a while, right? Nor should there be any obscenity, no foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather, that's the put-off stuff, here's the put-on stuff, Thanksgiving. Be grateful. For of this you can be sure no immoral or impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, by the way, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's that you cannot keep up with those habits and think that you have a life that is marked by the kingdom of God. The two do not go together. Put off those old ways. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, don't surround yourself with voices that will give you an out. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Don't let, don't let the comfy voices that, hey, it's going to be just fine. It doesn't matter how you live. We can hear that message in a lot of different ways, a lot of different formats, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle. Paul says, get those voices out of your daily soundtrack. Don't do it. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. That's a whole lot of scripture there. And I like reading big chunks of text like that sometimes so that we kind of feel the weight of what Paul is really trying to say. I think God is trying to say through the text. But if we could s summarize it, uh, there's some put off stuff and some put on stuff, right? 
those things that are repeated over and over again, they're, they're kind of like this. Did you, did you hear multiple times anger, greed, immorality, and what I would generally say is undisciplined speech? This is the stuff Paul gets back at time and time again. Don't let anger fester. Don't let greed, don't let an obsession with what another has fester. Immorality, not even a hint. Not even a hint. In a, in a sex-crazed society, not even a hint. Again, it's not that we remove ourselves from that society. It's what does faithfulness, like? what does not even a hint life look like in the midst of our current culture? I'm not sure we have a good answer to that. I think we should work on one, though. Immorality, undisciplined speech. You notice how many times in these verses to this point, Paul says something about what we say, whether it be falsehood or coarse joking. He says nothing, uh, no unwholesome talk. Just don't have a loose tongue. Get rid of those old habits. Do we want a life? This is, this is what strikes me. The more I read scripture, the more I... I try to hear what, what Christ is communicating to us. The, the more I see, like, he's trying to, God, God is trying to get us out of a destructive life. P patterns that are just like bad for us. Do we want a life marked by those things? Anger, greed, immorality? Or do we want kindness, compassion, forgiveness? Love. I think if I was to put out a multiple choice test and say, I want my life marked by, and there were two options, and one option was the put off stuff, and one option was the put on stuff, I think, going out on a limb here, I imagine that most of us would pick the put on stuff. Right? So, here's the question, or a couple of them, really. What makes it so difficult? What makes it so difficult to leave old ways behind? Or, put another way, what makes it so easy to fall back into unhealthy patterns. If we say, I want compassion and forgiveness and kindness and love, I want those things to be what marks my life, but I keep f finding myself falling back into old patterns. Why is that? And the forward pointing question, how do we change? How do we change? Well, part of why it's so difficult is that we are very complex creatures. And at any given moment, we got a whole lot going on in our lives. And I don't just mean busy schedules. I mean, there's a whole lot going on internally for each of us. I, I, 
uh, over the years have been like very um, impacted by the teachings of, of John Mark Comer when it comes to uh, the, the realm of uh, spiritual formation. And I've, um, I, I use this passage in my course on, on uh, spiritual formation uh, at Bushnell. And and so I've adapted uh, some of the some of the things that he's taught over the years into um, what I like to call our, our embedded formation, the stuff that is just like in our lives and constantly forming us one way or another, whether we like it or not. And what is important for us is to learn how to pay attention to it, to be aware of it. And so I just want to walk through a couple of things. There's four elements um, that make th- that that are making us and can make it difficult sometimes to unlearn unhealthy patterns. The first thing we are being formed by is our relationships, obviously. Our relationships are critical to who we are becoming. And that goes for everything from family of origin, like plays such a huge role. Um, we will always be affected by our family of origin in, in some measure. And that's uh, that's for nobody in the room is that a wholly positive thing. Um, and th- th- there, are, there are good and, and bad elements most of the time that are shaping who we are today. And, and I think part of our life's work, part of our discipleship to Jesus is to explore what those things are and how we can learn and grow from them. There's family of origin. There's the friends that we've um, developed over over time, the close friends that we have, those close relationships, um, say a whole lot about who we're becoming. We have our, our broader network, our broader community. You could think of that in the terms of West Side, or we're involved at Bushnell. So I think of I think of those folks as as part of what's forming me. And then there's our relationship to like broader culture that we might experience through colleagues, through the stuff we watch, and and all that. There's there's our relationships that we're being f- formed by. And sometimes those are the things, um, sometimes there are elements in some of those relationships that pull us back. Right? Um, there's relationships. There's the stories that we tell ourselves. And this might be as important as, as any. Uh, you could think of this in terms of like negative or positive self-talk. I'm a I'm a failure. I'm a success, or or whatnot. We we go a lot of different uh, directions with this. We we tell ourselves lots of story, lots of stories about our past, and we like to tell ourselves story stories about our future as well. Um, and those things make a huge impact on the on the desires that we're forming over time. I just I think of this like it just in regards to like anger. Anger is usually something that happens on the other side of the phrase "I deserve," right? Uh, I deserve fill, fill in the blank, and when that blank doesn't get fulfilled in the way that we think it ought to, that can lead to, often does lead to, anger. There are some that are more predisposed towards being real angry, and there are some who are not, but that is, it's a temptation for, for all of us. That's how a story that we tell ourselves can lead to, lead back into an unhealthy pattern. That's just one little 
example. We've got to be really careful about this, those stories. We're also being formed always by our context, both the physical space in which we live, the, geogra- the geographical space in which we live, the fact that you and I live in Eugene, Oregon, has something to do with the kind of person that we're, be- we're becoming. But also, as like 2023 citizens, there's also a, a, a digital space that we all inhabit as well. And those places uh, where even if Eugene is not the comfiest place for you, you can find a space online that is comfy for you, where there are people that uh, agree with you and think all the, all the same things. Uh, the physical space and the digital space that we inhabit forms us in particular ways, and sometimes there are elements of that that, that move us one direction or, or the other. And then finally, we are being shaped by our habits, our day in, day out, like stuff we do. We are, in one sense, we are the cumulative effect of that which we do regularly. The stuff of our everyday lives done over and 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 over again. That's the stuff that's the best clue as to who we're becoming. And sometimes there's, there's little habits that have hung on. And we wonder why it's so difficult to get out of a pattern of, of um, immorality or, or greed. And it's because we've never cut off the habit or built a new, a new one in its place. So I'm going to leave that there for now. And let's go back to the text and finish out this passage. And, and then we'll, we'll get to how do, we, how do we counter those things? How do we counter these things that we're being formed by? We need to, at the very least, develop an awareness of the stuff that's already happening in our lives that are shaping us in a particular direction. We've, we've got to do that work. Verse 8, for you were once darkness. Paul moves from the put off, put on uh, metaphor to one of like light and dark now. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as if that is true of you, because it is. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul's not quoting scripture here. He's just quoting a line from a poem or a hymn or something of the day, something that was used in the churches. I love thinking about that so much, thinking that there were just like hymns going around from church to church. And one of one of those lines was, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The animating power of the resurrection dug right into our lives. I love that. And then this final pa- passage here, of this longer section. Be very careful. Verse 15, be very careful. Uh, if you were here when we did the Sermon on the Mount series, we got a, a, a very similar charge from Jesus. Be careful or pay close attention to how you 
walk. And again, let's listen to Paul's urgency here. Be so careful about these things. Become aware of the stuff that is forming you. Be so careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Why? Because if we don't pay attention, the time will get away from us and we'll wonder what has happened. We'll wonder why we are not more compassionate people than we were 10 years ago. We'll wonder why forgiveness is such a difficult thing for us to, to like embody in our lives. It was difficult for me to do that five years ago. It's, it's even more difficult now. Paul is saying, be careful of the stuff in your life that is making it more difficult for those virtues to grow. They will not pop up out of, in, out, of, out of nowhere. They won't pop up out of nowhere. They have to be developed over time. God will work them in us. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. But Paul is also saying, be careful to like, take some ownership here. Take some responsibility for the way that you are being formed. Here's the thing. When we put put our entire formation in the, in the Holy Spirit basket and just say, Holy Spirit, please just like help me to be patient today. What will happen then is the Holy Spirit will hear that prayer. Has anybody ever tried this? Has anybody ever tried to play, pray for patience? It is a time. Oh, have you ever had so many annoying things happen in your life after, <laughs> after praying for patience? It's like, here's so many opportunities for you to be patient today. It's like, not, not today, not like this. Paul's saying, be careful about being the kind of person who can't be patient overall. The days are evil. The days on their own aren't going to help you. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine. Okay. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You're not going to make good choices in general when you are drunk. Paul's trying to make a pretty practical point here. But it's, it's not just a don't get drunk uh, charge here. It's don't do this, but also be filled with the Spirit. And I think that in this verse... Paul is saying, don't give yourself to a substance that is going to control you, and other, and, but instead be filled with the one who can lead you in right paths. We are filling ourselves one way or another, right? We are filling ourselves one way or another. Paul is saying, maybe don't get drunk, but instead get drunk on the spirit. Let, let the spirit so animate your life that what is going on in your life can't be explained any other way than the fact that God is moving there. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the heart. And I have to say, I was, uh, as I was rereading this passage just this morning, I was a little bit convicted by the way that this passage ends um, because there is a very clear, like, uptick in the way that Paul ends this. And I don't always do a good job of illustrating this. Uh, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Anytime Paul starts talking clearly about communal life together 
under Christ, a like spirit-filled, spirit-driven community, it always takes an, an upturn. It always takes an upswing in, in mood. Paul, Paul has spent this entire passage warning us, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, try to do this. And then he says, when it, when it kind of works together, when it comes together, what a beautiful and wonderful singing and worship stuff that is. And sometimes I, I feel like I tend towards pushing and pushing and pushing. I, I hear Paul's language of insist and urge and be careful. And, and that so uh, drives the way that I think and, and teach even sometimes. And sometimes I, I get away from a message and I feel like I've pushed like a little bit too hard maybe. And, and I, uh, I feel like there are, are ways that God like... Uh, can use that still, but sometimes I don't do a good job of of painting the bigger picture of like this is this is for your goodness, for your health as a person and as a community. See the thing about those four things that that mark us, the relationships, the stories, the context, the habits, we need to become aware of them. But we can also develop counters to them. We can develop counters to them. This is how this is part of being very careful how we walk. When it comes to our relationships, we can counter uh, surface level affinity based relationships that we so naturally kind of like move towards. We can counter that with genuine accountability and like community. Genuine community is what is supposed to animate our relationships. It's supposed to move us in that particular direction. Nathan, I think I might have a, a slide on this one. Everybody give, give Nathan a hand. Cause, yeah, I, and this has been like, it, we've, we've, been, we've been moving. We've been cooking this morning. And, uh, and Nathan has been great keeping up with the slides. Thank you so much, Nathan. We counter our affinity-based relationships with genuine community, with accountability, with folks who say uh, no <laughs> to our lives. That's, that's key. That's important. We pick, uh, we, we stick to a church uh, that not based on like, oh, I just like, a, I like and agree with all these people. There's no like big group of people that you're all going to like, like and naturally get along with one another. And that's part of the beauty of the church. God works in the midst of that. We need that kind of uncomfy, sometimes annoying community, not just this surface level affinity based stuff. That will form us in the way of Christ. Instead of the, the stories that we naturally tell ourselves, to augment that, that, to develop that, to move that in a proper direction, what we need is new inputs. We need to get rid of the voices in our lives that are um, causing us to tell ourselves damaging stories, unhealthy stories towards ourselves, towards others. We need new inputs. Sometimes you might need a new radio station, might need a new podcast, might need no podcast for a little bit, might need different music, might need different books, might need a book. We need new inputs to counter the stories we tell ourselves. To counter our context, what we need is rootedness. 
a commitment to the space that we're living. God, God said to Israel in the Old Testament when they were in exile in a place that was not their home, he said, go seek the peace of the city where you're living. Don't always just long to get back to a comfier place. In other words, find out, find out where God is working and go join him there, wherever you are right now. We don't have to be bowled over. We don't have to be um, tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine of society like we looked at last week. We don't have to be marked by those things. We can live in that moment and go join the work that God is doing where we are, rootedness. And in the place of habits, uh, you and I are going to have habits every single day no matter what. And the historic practice of the church to um, get some good habits into our lives is just simply called spiritual disciplines. And, and at the very core, at the very base, at the foundation of all spiritual disciplines is this concept of, of just read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. It, it is doubtful that any of us could grow into genuine maturity in our faith until we have this foundation of read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. Is that the habits that is going to mark our lives? This is particularly interesting. It's particularly important in light of what Paul has just said here, because the days are evil. The days on their own aren't going to help you use your time very well. I think of one particular thing that um, can undo all of the habits that we're trying to develop. Um, over 90% of folks who have a, uh, a phone, a cell phone, iPhone or whatever Google makes, I don't know. Over 90% of us, the very first thing we do in the day is we wake up, we roll over, and we check the phone. Studies are showing roughly 90%, more than 90% of folks. Um, and it doesn't really matter what is on that screen, whether it's an email or a notification or, or whatnot. When we have chosen to give our first waking seconds to, to that, that's, called a, that's a habit. That is a habit that is going to affect our hearts and our minds in a particular direction that is going to make the read and pray piece that much more difficult to get into. I'm not saying you have to read and pray in the morning. I think it's, it's, I find it helpful for me. If I try to push it off to the end of the day, then it just gets pushed off and pushed off. What would it look like if, if we started to develop a habit in this way of getting, uh, getting our cell phones out of the first 15 minutes of our day, just the first 15 minutes? How much different would our hearts and minds feel? How much more space would there be for God to, to work? 
That's just a thought. That's just one. The, the, the question that all of us should be asking as we, as we wrap up here is what's, what's a moment in our day or week that we can replace a regular habit with a practice of giving attention to God? That's how we start to, start to respond to Paul's call to be careful. What's some little habit, some little moment that you regularly encounter during the day, during a week, that could be turned into an opportunity just to turn attention back towards God? Maybe it's that first 15 minutes of the day. Rather than getting caught up in the frenzy of, of email and all the stuff you have to do for the day, just saying, I, God, in these moments, I'm going to have a cup of coffee and I'm just going to listen. I'm going to turn myself towards you. Remember that the genuine community piece. I, I just want to read this again. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. We're going to do that now. We're going to come together and sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be increasingly aware of the stuff that is uh, making us who we are before you and before others. And we also want to be finding um, ways to put on new habits, to put on compassion and kindness, to develop the slow habit of, of virtue, uh, so that we can respond well in moments that um, maybe before we couldn't. Um, may, you, uh, may you be guiding us. In Jesus' name, amen.